Good morning gamers and welcome to the Polygonal Sunrise, your weekly video game news briefing every Monday morning. Today is Monday, April 1st, 2019. I'm your host, Jack Martin. Let's see what happened last week. Borderlands 3 announced. This article was written by Michael McWhorter of Polygon on Thursday, March 28th. It's official. Gearbox Software is making Borderlands 3. And the developer showed off first gameplay footage from its upcoming sequel at PAX East today. The first trailer for Borderlands 3 features many familiar elements from the series. A four-person team of vault hunters, over one billion guns, big mechs, series mascot Claptrap busting a move, cel-shaded graphics, and vast areas in which to shoot and loot. And there are plenty of familiar faces from throughout the Borderlands franchise. Brick, Lilith, Maya, Mordecai, Ellie, Marcus, Tiny Tina, and other returning characters all make cameos. The Vault Hunters appear to be all new. Here's what the trailer tells us about them. There's a buff female hunter who has the makings of a siren and can apparently spawn six massive arms, each just as buff as she is. We see her briefly summoning a giant arm later in the trailer, holding an enemy in a containment bubble. A younger female hunter appears standing in front of a mech that she can apparently summon, and that other players can apparently co-pilot. She's also seen driving in a big old wheel vehicle outfitted with ample firepower. An older male hunter apparently uses a gadget that will let him create a holographic version of himself. An android or robot hunter appears to fight alongside a variety of pets, including a skag and spider rant. Gearbox did not announce a release date or platforms for Borderlands 3, but publisher 2K Games promises more information on Borderlands 3 on April 3rd, the same day it will release Borderlands Game of the Year Edition. Alright, here are my thoughts on Borderlands 3. I'm so glad this series is continuing. This is a series that people absolutely adore, and I'm really glad that this is getting a third entry. Borderlands is a series I've never played, so the Game of the Year edition of the first one seems like a really good jumping in point before I give the new game a go. The trailer shows off some beautiful vistas and some really cool gameplay, so I'll definitely be giving this game a shot. This is almost certainly a next-gen game, though it might be for both current and next-gen, but you can definitely count on this being on the next generation of consoles. Either way, I'm excited to give this series a go. Alright, on to the next story, PlayStation State of Play Showcase. This article was written by Shabana Arif of VG247 on Monday, March 25th. The first installment of Sony's new livestream program, State of Play, kicked off today. And here's everything we got a peek at. Marvel's Iron Man VR was announced, which will have you flying around in the Iron Man suit in an original adventure, as well as upgrading and customizing it in Tony Stark's garage. A VR Five Nights at Freddy's is coming this spring featuring levels from the original game, as well as several new experiences. So if you enjoy pants-soiling jump screams, you can kick it up a notch with Five Nights at Freddy's VR, Help Wanted. No Man's Sky's Beyond expansion, slated for release this summer, is also getting a VR mode. Routing out the PSVR news, we got a new story trailer and confirmation of our release date for VR spy title, Blood and Truth, available for pre-order now and launching on May 28th. Speaking of new story trailers, Devolver Digital shared a decidedly spooky one for its sci-fi thriller Observation, which cast players in the role of a space station's AI called Sam. If you're a fan of 2001 A Space Odyssey, you're sure to have a whale of a time. The game is coming to PC and PS4 on May 21st, and you can pre-order it now. A fun Mortal Kombat 11 trailer, dubbed Old School vs. New School, preceded the news of a few more roster confirmations. 
Jax, Liu Kang, and Kung Lao will all be playable characters in the game. Alright, here are my thoughts on PlayStation's state of play. I think this is a brilliant new way to announce some smaller games. Though Sony might announce some larger games along the way, this first livestream seems to set the tone going forward of what these livestreams will be about. Some people were upset that there were no bombshell announcements, but the lack of huge announcements was somewhat expected going into the state of play, since all of PlayStation's first party games are already revealed. I don't have a PSVR, but this is a huge moment for VR owners. Iron Man is probably my biggest takeaway from the show. PlayStation has really locked down some great Marvel exclusivity, and Iron Man VR seems to be like a really fun time. No Man's Sky in VR is so perfect that it's making me want to buy a PSVR. Traversing a unique universe goes hand in hand with exploration in VR. I'm excited for more of these live streams in the future, and I think people will now have tempered expectations going forward. Alright, onto the last big article. Nintendo allegedly set to release two new Switch models. This article was written by Matt Perslow of IGN on Monday, March 25th. Nintendo is allegedly planning to launch two new versions of the Switch console, potentially as early as this summer. A report by the Wall Street Journal claims that Nintendo has an enhanced variant of the Switch in development, bolstered with features targeted at avid video gamers. This will be joined by a cheaper option of the console for casual gamers, with the intent of it acting as a successor to the 3DS. The enhanced version reportedly won't be as powerful as the PS4 Pro or the Xbox One X, which is unsurprising considering Nintendo's history of hardware choices. The more casual-focused console will drop functions for the standard Switch, such as controller vibration, in order to cut costs. Quote, the company judged the new Switch models won't need the vibration feature because there won't be many games released using the full benefit of it, end quote, claims one of the Wall Street Journal sources. The story cites unnamed parts suppliers and software developers as sources, stating that the developers have access to a prototype. It also notes that Nintendo has declined to offer comment. These unnamed sources point to a summer release date, with a story suggesting an announcement at E3 in June, followed by a retail release a few months later. The consoles will allegedly have new designs, rather than just being higher or lower performance hardware housed in similar looking cases. Here are my thoughts on the new Switch models. I think this is a great way to get Switches into more hands. I know several people who want a Switch, but aren't willing to shell out $300 for it. The cheaper version is so smart, and I bet it will be the better selling version of the two new hardware options. The enhanced version of the Switch is an interesting choice for Nintendo, since its games don't really focus on intense graphics, so I'm interested to see what that version might look like. I'm glad I got my Switch when I did, but I remember wanting to wait for a cheaper version to come out. I know a lot of people are like me in that regard, so this will be a welcome addition if the story is true. Alright, those are the biggest stories of the week. Let's quickly run down some other highlights of the past week. Media Molecule's Dreams is finally releasing, though not in its fullest form. The early access version of the game will release on April 16th, and will cost $29.99. The early access version will include creation tools, but the story mode is still being worked on for the full release. Wolfenstein Youngblood, a spin-off of Wolfenstein 2 The New Colossus, has a release date of July 26th. It's priced at $30. And finally, both the PS Plus games for April and the Xbox games with gold for April have been announced. PlayStation users can download The Surge and Conan Exiles for the PS4 starting April 2nd. Xbox One owners can grab The Technomancer from April 1st to the 30th, and Outcast Second Contact from April 16th to May 15th. The original Battlefront 2 and Advanced Warfighter 2 are also available on the 360 and Xbox One. Battlefront 2 is available between April 1st and the 15th, and Advanced Warfighter 2 is available between April 16th and the 30th. 
Okay, that's it for news. Sekiro Shadows Die Twice came out recently, and my friend Matt Leonard of Game Revolution has been playing it a lot. Let's hear what he has to say. Hi, my name is Matthew Leonard. I'm a contributing writer for Game Revolution. I'm going to give some impressions about Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. Sekiro is the latest game by Japanese developer From Software. The game follows many of the design ethos set in place by From's Souls games, but differentiates itself with more freedom of movement and fast and frantic combat. I've played a bit under 30 hours of Sekiro, and while I haven't finished the story quite yet, I feel like I'm pretty close. So let's start there with the story. Sekiro tells a rather straightforward story. Although there's a lot of depth that can be found by talking with NPCs and following the sometimes obtuse instructions they give you. The player must rescue their young Lord Kuro after he has been kidnapped by a member of the Ashina clan. Sekiro, the character, is able to come back to life thanks to the divine inheritance of the young lord, but an affliction known as Dragonrot can harm others in the world. Sekiro's story is satisfying in its relative simplicity, and many of the world's characters are unique and interesting and have stories to tell if you seek them out. But Sekiro's world and level design are where the game truly shines. Sekiro's Sengoku era Japan is beautiful to behold and travel through. The ability to jump and grapple hook various parts of the environment makes Sekiro an expansive playground to run through, and the ways areas often double back on themselves are exciting to discover. Sekiro's world is memorable and unique in a pantheon of great worlds in From Software games and the genre at large. Now, the combat. The combat is probably the most important part of a From Software game, at least, you know, in the past 10 years or so since Demon's Souls came out, and this is where I'm most conflicted about Sekiro. Much of the game is a mix of stealth followed by bouts of clashing swords, which was a mantra given about the design of the combat by Hidetaka Miyazaki, wherein players must deflect enemy attacks in order to deal a killing blow swiftly. Many enemies are quickly dispatched through well-timed deflections, smart dodging, and offensive moves. These are the most satisfying moments of the game's combat. On the other hand, bosses and mini-bosses require a sustained level of near-perfect play that completely throws off the flow of play from the rest of the game. Now if you throw in the player's low health pool that can lead to death in just a few blows and bosses kill momentum and often feel overly long. If a boss fight ends up taking longer than the entire area leading up to it, that's a problem. Sekiro does this regularly. Unlike regular enemies, which have players focused on depleting the enemy's posture to quickly deal a death blow, bosses are more interested in having players drain immensely large health pools. And no matter how good you are, chances are bosses are going to kill you a few times before you gut them. Sekiro's boss fights are satisfying to complete, if only because then you get back to the better parts of the game, world traversal and normal combat. There's a lot to love about Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, but the pacing is constantly thrown out of whack by, at the best of times, overly long boss fights that feel like a different design entirely. Thanks a lot, Matt. You can follow him on Twitter at LatMenard. That's L-A-T-T underscore M-E-O-N-A-R-D. And you can follow his articles on Game Revolution. You can find his author page at GameRevolution.com slash author slash Matt dash Leonard. Before we end the show, let's take a trip back in time and see what happened this week in gaming history. This is for the week of April 1st to the 7th. April 1st. On April 1st, 1994, Nintendo releases Super Metroid for the Super NES in the US. And on April 1st, 2003, in Japan, Square and Enix complete merging companies to form Square Enix. April 2nd. On April 2nd, 1998, 
Sony CEA sells the 10 millionth PlayStation video game system in North America. April 3rd, United States District Court Judge Barbara Caulfield rules that Accolade infringed Sega Enterprise's copyright in creating Sega Genesis video game cartridges. This ruling effectively outlaws disassembling computer programs. On April 3rd, 2005, Activision releases Doom 3 for the Xbox in the US. And on April 3rd, 2007, Red Octane and Activision released Guitar Hero 2 for the Xbox 360 in the US. April 4th, on April 4th, 2006, IDOS releases Commando Strike Force for the PlayStation 2 and Xbox in the US. April 5th, on April 5th, 2004, EA Sports releases Fight Night 2004 for the PlayStation 2 and Xbox in the US. On April 5th, 2006, Midway releases NBA Ballers Phenom for the PlayStation 2 and Xbox in the US. And on April 5th, 2009, Nintendo releases the Nintendo DSi in the US. Price is $169. April 6th. On April 6th, 1982, Atari releases Pac-Man for the Atari VCS system. And on April 6th, 2004, Acclaim releases Alias for the PlayStation 2 and Xbox in the US and Canada. And finally, April 7th. On April 7th, 2009, Atari releases the Chronicles of Riddick Assault on Dark Athena for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 in the US. That information came from a really cool site called thisdayinhistoryinfo.info slash compvid. There, you can find all sorts of cool information about what happened each day in gaming history. And that's it for the Polygonal Sunrise. You can join us every Monday morning for your weekly gaming news briefing. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at FascinatedJack, and you can follow the show on Twitter at PolygonalPod. If you have any questions or would like to contribute to the show, email me at PolygonalSunrise at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show in its own feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podbean. You can also find the show under the Amherst Wire feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or AmherstWire.com. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. It really helps out the show. Have a great week, everyone, and enjoy the first day of April. The Polygonal Sunrise is a production of the Amherst Wire. Visit AmherstWire.com or find them on social media at AmherstWire. This episode was recorded, edited, and produced by me with additional help from Matt Leonard. And thanks again to Matt Leonard. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at lat underscore Menard. That's L-A-T-T underscore M-E-O-N-A-R-D. And you can follow his articles on Game Revolution. His author page is GameRevolution.com slash author slash Matt dash Leonard. The entertainment slash podcast editor for the Amherst Wire is Jonathan Kerma. You can follow him on Twitter at jkerma98. My supervisor for the show is BJ Roach. You can follow her on Twitter at BJ underscore Roach. And finally, the music for today's episode is provided by Damon Hatfield. You can support him at damonhatfield.bandcamp.com or find him on iTunes and Spotify.